Welcome to the Central Peninsula Church Podcast, a podcast all about real life together. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the CPC Together Podcast. Brandon here with Kevin, and we're talking about last week's message uh, that if I was going to title it, I would title it Limitless. And I have to say, Kevin, I was very disappointed that you didn't use any references from the Bradley Cooper movie. And when I asked you about it, you said, well, that would mean I would have to watch that movie again, which tells me that you didn't thoroughly enjoy that movie, which I think will be the subject of this podcast. It's my hatred for Bradley Cooper. You don't like Bradley Cooper? No, I like Bradley Cooper. He was good in... um... Oh, man. In the shallow. (laughs) That one? No idea what that is. The the Lady Gaga movie? I didn't see that one. Are you kidding me? I did not see that one. No, what's the one with Jennifer Lawrence? Um Silver Linings Playbook. Silver Linings Playbook. He was very good that in was Silver like Linings 15 Playbook. 15 years ago or something. It was not that long ago. I bet you that was I bet you that was It was at least as, it was at least as long as the Michael W. Smith song I wrote was written. <laughs> I'm looking it up right now cuz I'm going to prove you right in front of everyone right now. Oh man, the limitless movie. He takes the pill and he becomes limitless. His mind just is totally open. He can do anything he wants. All he has to do is take this pill, and then he eventually is so smart that he develops his own. It's just part of his brain. He doesn't even have to take a pill anymore. I mean, I want that pill. What more could you want? Maybe 2012. By the way, Silver Linings Playbook. I said 10 years. Yeah, wasn't time ago. 15 years, as you said. (laughs) Anyway. Um, but we do want to just, you, you unpacked a lot yesterday and as much as I hate that word unpack when it comes to sermons, because it's so popular for people to say, well, let me unpack this. And you started with this idea that there is a myth about limits, about limitless that our culture believes. Mm -hmm. Um, and what would you say, how would you summarize that myth again? Yeah. I'd love to unpack that. <laughs> but no, I, I just I think that you know again as, as I said in the, the sermon we we kind of live in a world um, where every industry in some way is trying to overcome limitation right even like think of any technological advance like even like like before even thinking through like the internet or a cell phone or whatnot think even of a light bulb right like a light bulb at its essence is trying to overcome the limitation of sunlight. Um, where sunlight has a duration, it ends. There's a, a beginning and an end to it. And, and so even like the light bulb in some ways is an effort to overcome limitations. Now you take that concept with this sort of like, you know, like the, I think I call it the doctrine of progress, this belief that if we just continue to progress, we'll overcome any obstacle um, that comes our way. Um, like all of that is built on, you, you put that onto something like a cell phone, something like modern technology, and I think what's maybe frightening is we have the ability to actually overcome many limits. Some of those are good, yeah, right? Like some of those aren't all bad, but it's it's <clears throat> extending ourselves into a way of understanding what it means to be human that I think is damaging. And when, we, when it gets into our anthropology, our understanding of humanity, um, then we become, you know, we lean into that sort of limitlessness. And what I was trying to propose yesterday is that's that's really one angle at understanding sin is trying to be more than we were created for, uh, more than finite beings. And that poses all sorts of all sorts of problems. Now, I mean, is it any wonder that we have a problem trying to be limitless when you look at our heroes? Like, mm. or you look at the people just that we look up to. Um, uh, Michael Jordan comes to my brain, who literally like defies 
gravity and jumps beyond what any human should be able to jump. Yeah. Probably not anymore. Or think about like, I was just thinking what would Elon Musk say uh, if yeah. you were telling, telling him that uh, we're limitless, you know, or that we have limits yeah. that we need to just, you know, stay within our parameters. He would tell you, my whole goal is to yeah. defy yeah. what you think are limits and to push. So there's something that, you know, we strive for that in a way, and that's not all bad, right? You're mm-hmm. saying, but mm-hmm. um, I think what I heard yesterday when you, when you kind of said that it's really that we try to become like God, yeah. That in our minds we think that we, uh, you, what do you put that we have a we have an infinite longing, yeah. How did you put that? That was so yeah. good. Yeah, it's that you know we were created, as Solomon would say, with eternity in our hearts. And so at our core, we have an infinite desire, literally a desire for eternity, for something beyond bounds. And the problem is, again, that we place or we aim that desire at finite material things, right? And so the only thing that satisfies an infinite desire is an infinite object. Mm. And the the only thing that's infinite is God. And so I thought when you were going to say Twinkies. <laughs> they've got a long shelf life. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, airheads and Twinkies, man. <laughs> airheads would probably last a really long time. They, they're pure sugar. I don't think they go bad. I can't imagine they do. But when we aim that infinite desire again at a finite thing, we make it more than it is, and it actually crushes it right? And ourselves under that weight. So, so if you aim, like if you're, if your desire, infinite desire is placed on your child and the expectation that your child will fulfill all of your desires, um, that will crush the child that will crush you because it's, it's a disordered as Augustine would say, disordered love. It's not the manner in which, um, creation was to be ordered. And so Mm. in that you, you make something finite, infinite, and that poses all sorts of problems that can, Map that on anything, not just the child. It could be a spouse. It could be your career, your ambition, your sexuality, whatever it is. When you place that infinite desire on something that is finite, um, it poses problems. And it's not that those finite things are bad, but they have a proper ordering, a proper place in kind of the human life, and we elevate them beyond what they should bear. Yeah, so thinking about other examples that you used in your message that we do this with, we try to impose um, a limitless nature or maybe think like time. You said time holds us back uh, from, from being limitless. Um, You mentioned workaholics, people that, um, you know, spend pretty much all their time and energy trying to get more out of the work day and, and to the peril of their family or, Mm -hmm. or other things. Uh, The way we consume products, uh, or Mm -hmm. even social media, that the way that we can do relations, like you said, we, we really only have the margin and time and, and mental energy to have a few good friends. But social media says that we have 2,500 good friends. And you see that on your birthday when a million people post on your Facebook wall. (laughs) You haven't talked to since high school and they're busting out of the woodworks. Yeah. Um, so you could really exhaust yourself that way. Yeah. No, I think it's so true. You know, I think an example of this, um, for me, is you know, I have a tendency. Um, I, I like to be productive. I like to do. I like to work. I love. I love the work that I am doing. Um, I also have this academic side of me. I'm in a full time PhD program. Um, yeah, on top are. of all this, so there's like my life is not a great example of living within limits. It's one I've had to work at. And I was reminded of this years ago, actually, before the the school program I'm in now. 
you know, almost every time Lindsay and I would schedule a vacation, um, I would get sick either during the vacation or right before. Oh and man, what a bummer. <laughs> it was because, and what I realized is I would push so hard um, all the time, working hours that you shouldn't work until finally when my body would rest. Um, it was like, it was like my mind would stop. The work I would do would finally stop, but my body would catch up. And all of a sudden I would just, I'd literally get ill, uh, because I was just running at a pace that wasn't sustainable. So once I slowed down, it's like my body was finally saying, no, you're going to slow down. <laughs> you're going to slow down for a while. It will, it will slow sick. you down. Yeah. yeah. And so we had to, I had to learn and I'm learning, I should say, um, of, of how to operate within limits. I think this is, you know, something we'll talk about in the fall a little more, um, around CPC is this idea of Sabbath, of introducing rhythms of break, of rest, um, where you force yourself to live within limitations. I mean, in some ways, that's what Sabbath is, uh, which is fascinating, by the way, that Jesus spent a seventh of his life, as one who would observe Sabbath, a seventh of his life doing nothing, mm. um, but resting and worshiping with God. Like, that's, that's pretty profound. Um, you know, someone who, again, was in fact fully human, fully divine, had the opportunity to live limitless, limitless, but yet actually entered into an existence of limitation. Yeah. And that leads me to thinking about this um, idea that you said, uh, it just really kind of resonated with me that all of this limitless, this, this pursuit of limitless is what leads us to our restlessness. Mm. And, you know, bringing up Jesus, I wonder how often Jesus would have said, Oh, I'm, I'm just so busy right now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, or I mean it didn't seem like he was ever too busy. Yeah. Yeah. to handle what was important and yeah. what was the most necessary thing. But you said it leads to a restless heart like I don't know, how could can you elaborate on that yeah. a little bit? Yeah, I'm I'm using, you know, Augustine's fav- famous quote on that, right? Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And I think what he's getting at is again that idea of desire, of where we place that infinite desire on finite things. I mean, that, that's an equation that will always result in restlessness because they can't, they're not compatible. And so in that, that restlessness, when we're trying to live beyond our limits, um, we find a dissonance there because, again, it, it's we're trying to do more than we were created for. And so until we live kind of within those bounds, that was, you know, that was the example I shared that you had given me actually yesterday um, of, of an artist that like creativity flourishes within boundaries. Um, and I think in the same way, like, a heart that's restless is always looking to be satisfied in some place and it will find and try it and attempt to find rest in all these other things. What, what again, the scriptures often call idols, right? Like all of those different idols are ways our heart is trying to find rest. Um, but in the same way an artist flourishes within boundaries in the same way a child flourishes within parameters of how to exist. I think so too, like our own hearts flourish when we find those boundaries and that's, that's discipleship is learning where and how to become more human um, rather than trying to be God, striving to be God. We actually are trying to be more human. Um, and Jesus is trying to teach us that in, in our discipleship, our apprenticeship to him. Solomon pops into my brain with Ecclesiastes and, mm. and him going after pretty much everything that the world has yeah. to offer. And yeah. he doesn't say, I'm tired, but like, you know, when he says yeah. it's meaningless, you feel this exhaustion. Yeah. Like what have, what am I, what am I actually doing yeah. with my life here? Yeah. Like yeah. I'm not finding anything that is actually giving me real meaning or real rest. Yeah. So you said in all of this, the, the solution to this problem is confession. Yeah. Um, 
which doesn't, it, it's just not the most intuitive thing to me. So <laughs> like, okay, yeah, I, I can get, I can get on board with this idea that I try to do more than I was created for. I try to go after more or be something that I was not never created to be. And that extends to uh, maybe especially sin um, where I'm living out of what God intended for me. So mm-hmm. I, I'm on board with that and that my heart is restless because of it. But how in the world is confession a solution for that? Yeah. Yeah, I you know it's it's interesting because, again, it is counterintuitive. Um, and and I'm I trying to even put my finger on exactly why it's so counterintuitive, but it is. Like, it's not where our head goes, our mind goes. Um, but I'm thinking of even, um, you know, confession is the way in which we bring those problems to light. And I think that's when... Why it's the solution is because until you name the restlessness, you don't like you feel that you're restless, but you actually don't know why or where the source of restlessness comes from. And so it's kind of like that almost confession becomes that first step of saying, God, I have overstepped my bounds and I have sinned. I have lived limitless. I have tried to be you, tried to be God opposed to human and so confession then becomes, in some ways, the groundwork or the the rock zero, uh, or the rock zero, that's not a phrase, but the rock bottom. There we go. Uh, you be, it becomes the rock bottom from which we can then actually name the problem and then seek change. Mm-hmm. And until you confess that, you, you can stumble around looking for mistakes, but you never, you never deal with the real source issue. Um, and that, that, be, you know, that becomes a problem. Like You have to be able to name it, to bring it to light. And I, th- I think it stems from a, a maybe a flat understanding of confession. Um, and even a, I think this gets back to a little bit of a flat understanding of sin. Right? We, we tend to think of sin of just in, in terms of disobedience. Um, and that's true. Like disobedience to God is sin, in fact. Like it is, in fact, that. But when we reduce it to only that, we miss this kind of restlessness, right? Again, where sin is also a sort of misplaced love. It's... Mm. Um, it's trust structures, as one author would call them, um, built on things other than God. And when we begin to have a better um, imagination for sin, that allows us to have a better imagination of confession, um, where it isn't just, God, I'm, I did something wrong, um, but it's also the confession of, God, I've lived and structured my life in a way that is leading to death, yeah. and that's a problem. And Lord, I need help, and I need grace. I need mercy to learn a different way. That's so good. It makes me think of this um, living in a in a in a way that is slowly kind of killing you. It makes me think of this uh, when I was when I got my Toyota Highlander. Um, it was like the it was like the base model. I got it used, and someone had installed a trailer hitch on it. <laughs> and so I decided one day that I was gonna try to haul a whole bunch of sound gear up to this camp way up in the mountains. And so I loaded that thing as full as I could load. I did not look at the specs of how it was intended to be yeah, used. It was good. Um, I don't even know if it had specs. It was kind of cheap. But <laughs> I loaded the whole thing up, loaded the whole car up, and we went. And we got like halfway up this crazy hill. And I heard like the engine, <laughs> if engines could groan, the engine was like, ugh. <laughs> And the car never drove the same. It started like leaking a fluid after that. I mean, I never did anything about it, but a fluid. I like that. (laughs) She didn't clarify what it was. There was some type of fluid. I didn't, I didn't really want to know, but, um, in the way that like I, I 
I wanted that Highlander to do more than it was ever meant to do. And I drove that poor thing to its death. And I just think about like how we, how we do that to ourselves with this. Um, Well, I love even the way you just said it there with to play that, that example out a little further. Like I didn't want to know, right? Like that's so much the posture of this sort of restlessness. Like we don't want to know that our career is an idol. We don't want to know that the pursuit of whatever thing that's less than God is in fact going to lead to death. Like, Mm. because we genuinely believe it will bring happiness and pleasure or, um, even go back to, it was a couple months ago when we talked about the difference between like strongest desire and deepest desire. Like there is a level in which our strongest desire we want to fulfill, even if we know it's counterintuitive to our deepest desire, right? And our deepest desire um, because we're made for God is, in fact, you know, communion with God. Um, but oftentimes, our strongest desire is to load up the Highlander with thousands <laughs> of pounds and just plug up the hill. You know, so there, there's something in there about not wanting to know where we failed. Yeah. So I think that one of the, as as I hear you talking, I heard you talking yesterday. One of the solutions, you know, the reasons that confession is a solution, also is that it sort of puts us in touch with the forgiveness that God has to offer. Mm -hmm. And it, it reminds us, you reminded us that there's a big difference between regular confession, um, just kind of confessing whatever's going on in your life or your sins versus Christian confession. Yeah. Um, there is something that you said that, that you said this that is healing. There is something good about just normal confession, right? It's cathartic and it's 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 mm-hmm. therapeutic, and we get it off our chest, and that's great. And some of us stop there when it comes to confession, but the beauty of Christian confession uh, is that it puts us in touch with the forgiveness that God is offering. Mm-hmm. Um, and you gave a really great quote that I can't exactly remember by the Brewster. The Bre- um, that Make I'd love another for you to, appearance. <laughs> if you have it with you, I'd love to hear that quote again. Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, and and it, it, the quote is this: it, "It's divine forgiveness resembles a miracle. God recreates life, just like the first autumnal rain that generally accompanies the new year. When God forgives, He brings rebirth. Mm. Right, and that that is that you know when the Christian confesses, at least in, again in the in the intentional." tradition of the church confession, like, or the Christian's confession. Um, it's always in view of the cross that we confess where the difference between, um, confessing to your spouse, you know, me confessing to Lindsay that I forgot to do the laundry or whatever, like that may be in fact an important thing to bring about healing to the relationship. Um, Lindsay, if you're listening and I forgot to start the laundry, <laughs> but, uh, but it could be something like that. And that is a good healing thing. Like I said, that's a, that's a good therapeutic practice to confess when we fracture a relationship, but there's a difference when, again, the, when the Christian confesses, um, it becomes again, in view of the cross in view of divine forgiveness. And that, that, that's a game changer, right? Cause we're, we're then tapping into, um, not only brokenness on the relational kind of horizontal level, but it's tapping into a deeper brokenness. Again, that restlessness, as we talked about, that says God, in fact, can bring about rebirth, new creation, um, and not just in the way of like healing um, that a you know a secular confession, a non-Christian focused confession can bring, but it's something more profound where we literally open ourselves up to the work of the Holy Spirit to to regenerate death that has happened inside of us. Um, particularly when we think of, again, the way in which 
the living by living without limits brings a death as, as Psalm 32 would say, right? Our bones are wasting away. Um, that we're, we're literally like experiencing death. Mm. Um, but Christian confession says Jesus, the Holy spirit is in the work, in the process of rebuilding us, regenerating us from the inside out. And confession to that is always in view of that and is moving us closer to that, that work that the Holy spirit's doing. So, in, in a way, confession brings about forgiveness, and forgiveness, in Brueggemann's words, brings mm-hmm. about rebirth. Yeah. So the question is, in, in, if confession leads to life, does forgiveness happen? I didn't prepare you for this question. Mm. Does forgiveness happen without confession? Hmm. <laughs> That's a good question. Yeah, I, you know, my first... Yeah, my first thought is that forgiveness takes place on the cross. And so there is a sense in which our sins yesterday, today, and forever are in fact forgiven. But I want to say, it's, you know, without confession, we don't step into that reality. And so maybe, the, maybe a better way I would want to say it is that the work of forgiveness has been done by Jesus on the cross. But in, until we confess, we may not participate in mm. that. Yeah, it's almost like that whole alignment thing that you talked about. Like it's our yeah, it's our way to align ourselves with what God has done through through the cross. Yeah, and like you said, we're not when we don't confess, we're not participating. Yeah, in that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you could walk in the way of Jesus without confession, because again, it becomes that um, that agreement to our brokenness and need for someone to heal us, something to, again, which is the Holy Spirit, which is God. And so to follow Jesus without confession, I, I don't know if you can, like, um, in some way, yeah, because you're not stepping into um, the very gift that's been offered to us. And to me, I feel like that, um, I feel like that's worth stopping for a second. Mm. Because if we're going to be honest with ourselves, it's very easy for us to move through life and avoid confession altogether. Mm. And if you are a Jesus person, um, that's just not, that's, that's not the way. Yeah. In fact, that's trying to live contrary, like what we're talking about. That's living in a way that's contrary to what God has called us to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just feel like that's such an important thing to, to realize, you yeah. know, to get to the place where this is an important part of our faith yeah. to come before God and to confess and to join into the forgiveness that he's offered us. Yeah. You know, I think about where we're going this coming Sunday in Psalm 51, um, where David, <clears throat> you know, it's in response to at least what we believe is in response to um, his sin with Bathsheba, uh, which is profound, right? It's an affair. It's murder. It's cover up. It's it's a mess. Um, and, and the beginning of the Psalm is David confessing that have mercy on me, O God. And he doesn't do it until he's confronted by the way, um, until the prophet Nathan comes to him and says, Hey, you're, you're, you're screwing up. Like this is, you, this is a problem here. He then confesses, but then it's immediately followed. I think that's what we're getting at in verse seven. Um, I'm sorry, in verse 10, where after confessing for nine verses, it says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Mm. Like in some way, it's the confession was always aimed at then 
experiencing forgiveness. And so without like there, it's, it's a, they, they live, you know, kind of mutually connected to one another, confession and forgiveness, and both go hand in hand. Um, there's an order, right? To confess is then to receive the forgiveness, um, even though the forgiveness is there. The, the pure heart is awaiting us. God will, in fact, create a pure heart within us if we're willing to recognize the ways in which we failed and then seek that sort of forgiveness. Um, and you see that again. I think this week will be a beautiful example of how that forgiveness is always there waiting for us. Um, it's just a matter of us becoming aware of it and, mm. and then stepping into that. And yeah, we avoid we avoid uh, that confession because we we don't want to deal with the consequences. Yeah. Um, but we don't think about like even though the consequences are going to be there, like you said, the forgiveness is always yeah. there waiting. Yeah. yeah. Like the forgiveness happens instantly. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we do have to deal with some some consequences in the fallout of our sin. That's just. Yeah, how it rolls. But yeah. you said this. You said that we will cross the line of limitation, and um, that we're blessed when we admit it to God. That's kind of what the mm-hmm. psalm that you were talking about this week. Yeah, said right. Like, yeah, all of us are gonna are gonna yeah, go there. We're going to cross limits. We are going to sin. Right. That's that's just part of of being human. It doesn't make it right, but it's like, of course, we will. And so then, if we recognize, it, if we if we kind of presume that then the act of grace and the, the, the actual step of growth is to confess and say, yeah, this is, I am in fact flawed. I am in fact broken. Um, rather than playing the game of assuming that we won't or that we can't or that we'll avoid it. Um, but we actually be, you know, it, it's a maturity thing of recognizing I am flawed. The more I know, the more I don't know. The more um, that I, I, I love and am close to people, the more I realize how messy my life is. And, and if I'm not unwilling to name that, there's an immaturity that continues to grow and I can't actually then, because again, it's that that rock bottom experience. I can't actually find the the thing in which I need to work on and grow in until I confess that I can't, I can't work on it until I recognize it as a space of growth and need uh, for grace. Yeah. It's that rock zero thing. (laughs) It's that rock zero thing. The three, you kind of mentioned three steps that the scripture walked us through of confession, sort of three acts of confession. Mm -hmm. Um, but could you kind of rehit those together? What are the kind of the three, if you, if we were going to kind of summarize the three things that we need to think about when we're confessing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how would you summarize it? Yeah. Particularly in, in Psalm 32, right? You see these, um, these three come up and it's, it's first that we acknowledge the sin, right? I acknowledge my, my limitation. I acknowledge the way I've transgressed that. I acknowledge the sin, the brokenness within me. And, and again, that gets back to just what we were talking about. Until you acknowledge it, you can't deal with it. So the first step is always just acknowledge it. Can we do this through the lens of the Highlander? Just so I can understand it a little bit better. Okay, so. Acknowledge that your your Highlander shouldn't have a hitch. Right. <laughs> and it does. <laughs> there you go. I was going to say don't load it so, but that's even better. Like The root of the problem is that thing should it's, not have a hitch. It shouldn't have a hitch. There's going to be someone who listens to this who's like, oh, I, I disagree with that. Listening but, to it while they're in their Highlander yeah, yeah. driving down. <laughs> okay. So you acknowledge it. Uh, and then, now I'm going to try to filter it all through that. Uh, the second part is you don't cover it up. Right, like in acknowledging it, you when you acknowledge it, you have the option, right, of either acknowledging it and then saying it's a sin, or covering it up and being like, I'm still going to load it up with thousands mm-hmm. of pounds. I'm still going to yeah. attach the trailer, try to climb up the hill or whatever. And so when you acknowledge it, that isn't actually, nece- you know, that's not necessarily confession. Yeah, that's just saying here's a thing. Then we have to figure out what do we do with it. That's interesting because I feel like I'm just thinking about me here. 
for me, acknowledging something in my life does feel like a sort of confession. Mm. And I'm a lot of times happy to stay there. Yeah. Like, yeah. This is a problem. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we all got problems, you know? Yeah. And I got this problem. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And we can kind of dismiss it in that space. And I would suggest that. And then never talk about it again. Yeah. Which is the covering up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is again, why at that moment, when we acknowledge, um, don't cover it up. Right. Move, move forward in a, in a healthy step. And that's really the third one, which is in the Psalm. He just uses again, the word confess where you confess that. And it's, it's a, um, an act in which you actually name the problem, name it as a problem, and then essentially ask God for healing, for help that I can't heal this on my own. Lord, forgive me. Um, or you know, the piece that's kind of hovering here too is, is confession is also, and we won't, uh, we'll get to this maybe a little bit this Sunday, um, but it but confession is also like we tend to make it an individualized thing, uh, but it should be a corporate practice in the sense of you should have people in your life that you confess to, mm. um, that you can bring like, and not just the ones that you um, damage with your with your sin, but just fellow believers, community, really rich community where you can confess like this is where I'm living beyond my limitations, and I failed in this, and this is a problem. Um, because there like is that. something in that. Yeah, we don't like that at all. We, we definitely yeah. don't like that. But but if you think about the effectiveness yeah. of it, yeah, you know that um, it's hard to deceive yourself. I think that's yeah. one of the biggest reasons. Like when we're doing it together, we can deceive. I mean, in some ways, if you acknowledge something and then you cover it up, yeah, that's nothing but self deceit. Yeah, I mean, if you say like I'm really, I really shouldn't be loading this thing up yeah. to six thousand pounds. And then you still do it. You've got to have some line of reasoning in your brain that is, that is <laughs> deception. Right. Yeah. And when you're doing it with five or six other people, someone's going to step in and say, look, man, yeah. you just said this, yeah. but you're doing this. But your, life, yeah, your life is inconsistent with yeah. what you're saying. So I can um, see the brilliance, the brilliance of it, but it's also like it makes us have to get real about this. Do we yeah. really, is this something we really want to change? Yeah, yeah. So, and you, don't, you also don't confess to everyone. Right, like that, that it doesn't, you know, when I say like a corporate confession, it doesn't mean you're constantly standing before the church confessing all your sins, right? It's, it's the trusted small community um, where you have that group of believers that you're trying to figure out how to walk with Jesus with. And so there is a, a subset, there's an appropriateness to who you confess to and when you confess. Um, that doesn't have to be everyone, but it probably needs to be someone, you know, as well. Like there has to be that, that level of relationship. So we're, we probably shouldn't expect you to publicly confess like while you're on stage for the rest yes. of this series. It wouldn't be great for the pulpit to be my therapy room. Yeah, that would not be healthy. So if, we, if I'm giving people handles as they move through their week and they think about confession and maybe something bubbled up up in them on Sunday or maybe even now something's bubble up, bubbling. Why can't I say that? Bubbling up in them that... Um, something they need to bring to God, something they need to confess or maybe bring some people in, where would you send them? I, I know that you kind of landed yesterday with the three questions. Where are you operating from a place of limit, limitlessness? Limitlessness. I promise I haven't had anything to drink today. Uh, where do you need rest? Um, which honestly I think maybe is easier to answer than where yeah. you limit, where are you yeah. living limitlessly? Um, and where do you need to realign with Jesus? Is that where you would leave people or, or yeah. how would you, what, what handles would you give them as they're trying to go yeah. through the week? Yeah, I think those are, those are pretty good questions to like sit on, you know, and spend some time with the Lord in those, um, in a prayerful mode. I would also say like, sometimes we can't always see it, 
right? And so I think that's, again, where that space of community goes. And so maybe if you're looking for even another step, um, would be finding that trusted individual in your community, whether it's your small group um, or your community group or a trusted friend or loved one, and just kind of ask them that question. Where where do you see me living beyond mm. what it means to be human? That's a scary, right? Like imagine asking Lindsay or yeah. Lindsay that question, you know, Lindsay, what do you see? Where yeah, am I what living? What do you see? And she'll just, have some She'll just sure. give you that look like, babe, come on. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a gift though, right? Cause again, yeah, no, cause, it is. And, and when you find a little, cause she'll do it with such grace and, and humility. Um, but also with a strength of conviction to say, you know, you know, that I need, I need to know that. You know, and there needs to be rhythms of that. And so um, we need that. That's why we can't do this Christian thing alone. Like it, it inherently is, is a communal thing. Um, as much as we want to make it individual, it has to be communal or else we'll never see those things. We'll never see our shadow side, which again is why it's called the shadow side because you can't see it. So you need to have it brought to light. I think that's where we need to, whether you agree or not, I think that's where we need to leave people is mm. this is your homework now. You need to go find someone close to you. Yeah your spouse, a really good friend that you know will be honest. Um, Sometimes your kids, honestly, (laughs) are brutally honest, but they'll tell you. I mean, you might have to rephrase it if you ask, you know, your nine-year-old what limitlessness is, but they know. They'll probably reference Bradley Cooper. (laughs) (laughs) They see it. The other people, they see it, like you said. So um, do that before next Sunday. Find someone and then consider those three questions. I'm going to tell them to you one more time. What are, where are you operating from a place of limitlessness? Think through that. Where do you need rest and where do you need to realign with Jesus? So that's where we're going to leave you here. And, um, and we will see you next week, next Sunday when we talk about Psalm 51. 51. Thanks for checking in guys. And we'll talk to you soon.